Thank you, Andrew. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul uh, charged Timothy uh, with the responsibility to stay in Crete and put the church in order. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school, and it certainly needed to be done, as was evidenced by Paul quoting one of the prophets from Crete who said this about his very own people. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <laughs> that, that is quite a reputation. And in fact, it lived out for many generations. So this morning, let me ask you as we begin, do you know anyone that has had a long-standing pattern of terrible behavior. Are, are you ever tempted to think that person will never change? Have you maybe given up hope for them to change? Let's make it a little bit more personal than that. Do you have any long-standing habits that you haven't been able to break? Are are you ever tempted to give up hope for change to take place in your life? Do, do you ever get discouraged over how unsuccessful you have been in changing stubborn, long-standing, sinful patterns of living? I mean, it, is change really possible? Uh, is, is there hope? And I want to say this morning emphatically, yes, there is hope. Yes, you, you can change, and the question is how. You, you won't have lasting change by looking within and relying on your own ability. Change is possible because Jesus died and was raised to life for sinners. So you must look to Jesus. The, the central verse for today's message is Romans 6.8 which says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. And as you know, today is Resurrection Sunday. It's important for you to recognize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are real historical events. God provided many, many eyewitnesses of not only the the, the death, the burial, but also the resurrection of Jesus. It, it is a central part of God's redemptive plan. These events are recorded in world history, but far more importantly than that, the Bible tells the story of Jesus in great detail. And the Bible is trustworthy in all that it says. God, God wants you to know with certainty that Jesus was born, He lived, He died, He was buried, He was raised to life, and He ascended to the Father's right hand where He reigns as King today. But today's sermon is more than just a history lesson. History is important, but it's, today is more than just a history lesson. It's personal for you because the Father sent Jesus to die and be raised for you. And so you change, not when you muster up enough strength on your own to change, but when 
you die with Christ and are raised with Christ. Uh, you, you must be connected to Jesus. Um, this being with Jesus or connected to Jesus is what theologians call union with Christ. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, your union with Christ is pictured in baptism. I quote, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So believer's baptism does not just picture the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Rather, it is a picture of your union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And by union, I mean you have a life-giving attachment or relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus described it by saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. So when the branches are attached to the vine, they have life. They produce leaves and fruit. The, the life of the vine is given to the branches when they are attached to that vine. But when the branches are cut off from the vine, they wither up and they die. There's no fruit. There's, there's no life. There's, there, there is nothing more important for you this morning than being in Christ. Let me say that again. There is nothing more important for you this morning than being in Christ. And that happens when you are born again by the Holy Spirit and then repent and put your faith in Jesus for salvation. And so... You change and you grow when you have union with Christ, when you die with Christ, and when you are raised with Christ. And this morning, I want to explore those two things with you. Um, and I invite you to follow along as we work through Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. And together, we're going to look at those verses, not necessarily in sequence, but we want to look at those verses to see what they say and how they answer these two questions. First, what, what does it really mean to die with Christ? And secondly, what does it mean to live with Christ? And I believe that when those two questions are answered, we'll discover when death is good and life is better. Again, our central verse is verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. But what does it really mean to die with Christ? What happens when we die with Christ? Well, the first thing that we learn in verses 6 and 10 is this. We believe the guilt of our sin was paid in full in the death of Jesus. So, guilt is a terrible thing, and it's a good thing all at the same time. Uh, we, we have guilt because of our sin. So, guilt is real. It is objective guilt. God's condemnation is on us because we've sinned against Him. Guilt is terrible because it's oppressive. It weighs us down. God's Righteous hand is upon us in a heavy way. David, King David, described it like this in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, For when 
I kept silent about my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So there, there is nothing man can do to get rid of their guilt before God. Nothing. So, so try, trying harder doesn't work. Trying to be busy with religious activities doesn't work. Doing penance or punishing yourself doesn't work. Nothing we do can take away that guilt. We, we can't escape the guilt of our own sin. And in that sense, it's, it's terrible. But guilt is also good because it shows us that we need a Savior. Real, objective guilt for our sin leads us to Jesus, who alone can take away the guilt of our sin. And He can do that because He died on the cross in our place. Verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, the old self is who we were in Adam. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam that first sinned against God. So devastating was his sin that the guilt of his sin was passed down to the entire human race. But verse 6 tells us, we know that our old self was crucified with Him or with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So this... Old self is a reference to who we were in Adam and the guilt that we inherited from him. It's referred to often as original sin. And the body of sin here refers to all of who we become as a sinner in this body. But the good news is that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then verse 10 says, For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin. Um, and Jesus doesn't need to continue to die. He doesn't need to continue to die daily or weekly or yearly. His death on the cross some 2,000 years ago was sufficient to take away all of the sin of those that He came to save. Through Jesus' death on the cross, the guilt of our sin is gone <laughs> because our old self was crucified with Him. And we see here a second thing too. We believe that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We have, in fact, been set free from sin. Uh, the end of verse 6 says, so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. And then verse 7 continues, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So when the guilt of sin is still on our lives, we are enslaved to sin. We are held captive to sin. We, we cannot escape sin. But when our old self was crucified with Christ, we are set free from the guilt and the power of sin. Sin 
no longer has its stranglehold on our lives. And verse 14 says, for sin, for sin will have no dominion over you. So an, an unbeliever cannot say no to sin. If you're not in Christ, if you don't have union with Christ by faith, you are still in bondage to sin. You are enslaved to sin. That means you can't say no to sin. You, you can't change your behavior in ways that will bring glory to God. Can't do it. But if your old self was crucified with Christ, you died to the guilt and power of sin. You, you are no longer enslaved to sin. That means you can grow and change. And because of that, there's a third thing that we must consider when it comes to dying with Christ, and it's this. We believe that we should not continue to live in sin. Now, we know that sin, we know sin is a huge problem. And in the end of chapter 5 in Romans, Paul makes the argument that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And that, that certainly is meant to be a wonderful and comforting truth. A, a wonderful promise. Though, though sin is great, God's saving grace in Christ Jesus is even greater than that. But sometimes critics of the Gospel say this saving grace of Christ really just gives a license for more sin. And, and I, I think even within the church, sometimes people don't take sin as seriously as they should because they believe that God's grace will just cover their sin. But Paul asks the question um, in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> and then he quickly answers his own question, and you can almost hear the indignation in his voice when he says, by no means. How, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And then in verse 12, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. So, if we died with Christ, we died to sin. The, the guilt of sin is gone. The power of sin is broken. Therefore, we should not continue to live in sin. And, and really, a helpful question for us when we're fighting the temptation to sin, even as believers, we, we should ask ourselves the question, how can we continue in the sin that cost Jesus His life on the cross? Sin should not be an accepted way of life for the believer. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll no longer sin. <laughs> but when we do sin, we will sin, but when we do sin, we repent of it. We will put off what is sinful and we'll put on what is righteous in its place. Uh, as Galatians 5 teaches us, we should walk according to the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. We, we live by the Spirit, so we should keep in step with the Spirit. That means that, means that we will say no, and, and, and if you are in Christ, you have union with Christ, we can say no to sin and to the works of the flesh, which include things like 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We, we should be seeing the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our life. So if the branches are attached to the vine, if we are abiding in Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control should be growing in our lives. Our love for God and our love for people should be increasing. And our, our love should not be growing colder. We, we cannot settle for being lukewarm in our love for God and our love for people. Believers... Believers should never excuse sin. Um, we, we can never say, well, that's just how I am. Uh, certainly we can be creatures of bad habits, which can lead us to being lazy or fearful or harsh with our words or sarcastic in wrong kinds of ways or impulsive. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. And sometimes we have had bad habits so long that we begin to think... I. I, I can't change. That's the way that I am. It's far too common for people to say today, you, you just have to be true to yourself. Well, if that means that you're living in sin, then you really have to repent and change. And, and sometimes believers today form an identity more influenced by various personality tests than the teachings of Jesus. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take personality tests to better understand your tendencies, but never ever let the results of a test become normative for you. Don't, don't let a personality test excuse sin in your life. And, and ignorance isn't bliss. Um, you, you can't excuse a sin by saying, well, I, you know, I, I didn't know. Ephesians 5, 8, 9 teach us that we are to walk as children of the light, and the text then goes on and says, find out what pleases the Lord. That, that is our responsibility. In fact, listen to the armor verse for this month, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That idea of training yourself for godliness involves sweat. You work hard at it so that you know what God expects, what He deserves. So what, what does it mean to die with Christ? We believe that the guilt of our sin is gone. We are set free from sin and we should not continue to live in sin. Uh, the, the second primary question this morning is this, what does it mean to live with Christ? And let me mention four things this morning. First, we believe we are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verses 10 and 11 say, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when, when we become a Christian, when we're converted, we become a new person. 
Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, so we've been given, if we become, when we become a Christian, we become, we're given this new identity. If we are attached to Jesus by faith, we are, we're no longer a sinner. Uh, sinner is, being a sinner is no longer our identity. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, we still sin, but that's not the identity that defines us. Instead, if we are in Christ, we're considered, the Bible says, a saint. That is, we're set apart and we belong to God. We are a Christian. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are a follower of Christ. We, we still sin, but we make progress out of our sin because we cannot continue to live in sin. Our, our lives are now lived with the person and the will of God at its very center of our heart's desire. That's what the Spirit of God wants to produce in us. And secondly, if we have been raised with Christ, we believe we can walk in newness of life. Verse 4, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So the ability to grow and change comes from being attached to the vine. Uh, Jesus said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I, I want you to know this morning that good fruit can be produced in your life. But it won't come from our natural man-made ability. We must be attached to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, obeying Jesus. Good fruit will come from the Spirit of God who is powerfully at work in our lives to transform us and to make us more and more like the very person and character of Jesus. And so we have to be people who are humble. Um, we must put to death pride and arrogance. We know and we believe with all of our heart that if there is anything good in me, it is from God and it is for His glory. But in Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit and work in us, we can walk in newness of life. So be encouraged this morning by that. We, we know all too well our past failures. We can beat ourselves up even though we're forgiven. But, but please know that as a believer, you have been raised with Christ so that you can walk in newness of life. Believe that. And this new life will be lived in ways of righteousness. We, we believe that we can now live in ways of righteousness. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So righteousness here is defined as a way of life in conformity to the will of God. And 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, or they shall be filled. So what you want more than anything else is to do God's will for His glory. When Jesus was praying on the night when He was arrested, betrayed and arrested, when He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you've probably heard how He prayed, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're told to be a people who are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that really amazing? Jesus considered it a joy to endure His death on the cross because that was His Father's will. Conforming to our Heavenly Father's will was more important than His own safety and His own life. Uh, Today, in Christ, we can and we must live our lives in ways of righteousness. Now, you, you may be here this morning and say, well, that just kind of sounds impossible. Sounds like pie in the sky. Uh, hope, I hope the best for you, but I've lived a long time and I've struggled and struggled and struggled. Well, I want you to remember one final thing this morning, and it's this. We believe we now live under grace. Verse 14 says, For sin will no will have no dominion over you since you're no longer under law but under grace. So the law exposed the terrible guilt of sin, but it also led us to Christ. That's where we found grace. That's where we found God's unfairted uh, favor. Um, you, do you remember how I began today? I talked about how uh, what Paul said to, to Titus about those on Crete, the island of Crete. He said Cretans are... Always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, we should never say always, right? But Paul says always. (laughs) Titus was given the task of leading that church to a place of order. That means that these liars, these evil beasts, these lazy gluttons must change. (laughs) But how can they change? Later in that letter, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, Paul teaches us how change takes place. And I quote, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Even these people who are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, this grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So today, in Christ, we live in that grace, this 
unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. God pours out His favor in our life. This, this grace that brings salvation, that brings Jesus, that changes us. And so today, I, I, I really have been attempting to convince you that the death and the resurrection of Jesus are really, really important. It's part of history, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus is more than just history. God sent Jesus to die in your place and to be raised to life in your place so that you can be set free from the guilt and the power of sin. To live your life according to God's will, which is for your good and for His glory. So is that what you know and believe? If the answer is yes, uh, you, you will be growing and changing. <laughs> because you died with Christ and you were raised with Christ. So if you're living by faith in Jesus, if you're attached to Jesus in a meaningful way, you have union with Him, uh, you, you will be growing and changing. The, the likeness of Christ will be reproduced and re reflected in your life more and more. The, the, the death and the life of Jesus. When you're connected to the death and life of Jesus, you, you are experiencing life change. Um, and that's, that's what's good for you and that is what will honor our God. The death and life of Jesus are life-changing for you when you live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing weekend it has been to remember and to even celebrate the death of the Messiah, to celebrate the death of Jesus, to proclaim the death of the Lord until He comes. Thank You too for Your Word that reveals that Jesus is no longer in the, the grave but is raised from the grave, conquering sin and death. But this morning, Father, we're particularly thankful for the way that You have worked in our lives so that You, by Your Spirit, can bring us to the point where when we trust in Jesus, we can die with Him and we can be raised with Him so that we can be restored to a relationship with You and we can be changed. We can be in the process of changing. We can more and more reflect the beautiful character of Jesus, which is certainly for our good and for Your glory. So thank You for this grace. It's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but You've chosen to love us. You've chosen to work in our life, revealing Yourself to us. Thank You for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that each of us here this morning uh, would be people who know that and believe that and are changed by You. So help us by Your Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.